Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Change and Environmental Justice podcast, a partnership between Environmental Health News and Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. I'm your host, Brian Binkowski, editor of Agents of Change and senior editor at Environmental Health News. Hopefully you're all settling into winter and are making some relaxing holiday plans. Maybe it's not technically winter where you're at, or I guess technically on the calendar yet, but it is definitely winter here. I've joined my first curling league. That's right, curling. I wouldn't say I'm quite graceful out there yet, but I'm definitely having fun. And speaking of fun, today I'm talking to Ebony Martin, the executive director of Greenpeace and notably the first black woman executive director at a legacy environmental organization. We talk about her journey in activism, some of Greenpeace's recent environmental victories, and why the organization has expanded its focus to voting and labor rights. Enjoy. All right. Well, I am super excited to be joined by Ebony Martin. Ebony, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. And where are you today? I am in Washington, D.C., on Piscataway Territory in our offices. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. We are so excited to have you join us. And I want to start, go back a little bit before your current position. So can you talk about how and why you became interested and involved in environmental justice in the first place, and some of your work as a justice advocate prior to joining Greenpeace? That's a great question. So um, I was always sort of the rebel in my family, the one who asked questions when probably you weren't supposed to and pressed for answers. And uh, when I would see things in the world that just didn't make sense, um, injustice, people hungry and starving, I wanted to know why, and I wanted to know what we were doing to address it. And um, I always kind of had a passion for that, and it may have gotten on folks' nerves because I, I, I pressed them out so much. Um, but I often say when I came to Greenpeace, I, I found my people uh, because we all um, use our voices to speak out uh, against injustice and to speak truth to power. So it, it just seemed right that I ended up in this organization. Didn't know I would be executive director, but um, the values and the mission of the organization very much align with who I am as a person. And so... Um, it, it's my place. It's my assignment. And before we zoom in on some of the issues you all are are, are looking at, um, I think most people think of Greenpeace when they think of environmental organizations. That one comes to mind. So I want to know what are the environmental issues that keep you up at night? So many. I mean, we are living in the climate crisis. It's not like it's coming. We are in the midst of it. We see Uh, 100-year floods occurring now every five years. We see our oceans are boiling. Um, We see we had the hottest summer on record. And we know that the number one driver of the climate crisis is the expansion of oil and gas infrastructure, and especially in communities that look like mine. And so if we are serious about Uh, resolving this issue and this crisis that's impacting so many, 
we have to stop the expansion of oil and gas. And so that is what keeps me up because we, we still are, we know that this is the cause, but we haven't seen to turn off the tap yet. And so um, I think that's the greatest thing that keeps me up at night. And then I would say the second thing is uh, the attack on our democracy right now. And um, one of the things that we should be using is our democracy. That's a tool that we have to ensure that our environment is is um, habitable. And right now we see a number of different tactics, including voter suppression, uh, anti-protest laws, bogus lawsuits, a number of things that are designed to take our voice away and designed to kind of silence us when we want to speak out or when we want to take action against this crisis. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's one of the things I noticed when I was looking at the work you all are doing right now is um, I think a lot of people still think of Greenpeace as a very biodiversity focused organization, you know, saving the whales and stuff um, because of all the very high profile work that the organization's done there. But I've noticed front and center right now, as you mentioned, is a focus on voting rights, peaceful dissent and protest, free speech rights. Can you talk about why these issues are so front and center for Greenpeace and how they intersect with environmental progress? Yeah, what we are seeing now in this attack on our democracy is we're seeing fossil fuel companies, oil and gas companies, and um, really many politicians on the right and law enforcement sort of joining together to develop like a multi-pronged strategy to kind of crush dissent and quell um, quell to push back on uh, climate action. And we see this in a number of ways. So a lot of the anti-protest laws that they have passed since 2016 after Standing Rock are specifically uh, targeting fossil fuel infrastructure and build out. And now we have about 60 laws, 60 laws now protecting these facilities And the penalties for speaking out or for protesting are very draconian. Um, And this is, we also see, you know, with the voter suppression, some of the laws that we want to push to get across the finish line. If we can't even go vote for those those laws to get across the finish line, we're we're in rocky territory. We also see what has happened in Cop City with many of the organizers who are just simply trying to protect their land, uh, protect the community, have now been charged with RICO. And that is a, that's an organized crime law. So it's really the criminalization of protests and the criminalization of even using your voice. And that's supposed to be a First Amendment right, protected speech. And we see that um, disappearing. And if we lose those tools... We're in pretty bad shape. So that is why Greenpeace um, is actively working to defend our democracy and to ensure that everyone's voice counts and to ensure that this planet and our environment is habitable. I have to say, when I saw that you were all working on those issues, it it made me feel good because um, all of these issues, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about more and as you know way better than I do, are so intersectional. Um, and, and the fact that 
the organization is thinking outside of silos is is such a good thing. Um, but we got very serious there very quick, and I want to take a quick step back. Everybody on the podcast, I've been asking, what is a defining moment or event that shaped your identity? Um, and I want to ask you that as well. And that can be personal, professional, whatever you think. I think the defining event that shaped uh, has helped shape my identity is becoming a mom. Uh, you know, I have two boys and they are like extensions of your heartbeat outside of your body. And you want to do everything in this world to protect them and to ensure that no hurt or harm comes near them and that they have the best opportunities that they um, can have to be successful. And so everything that I do when I wake up in the morning Um, it's for them. What I'm fighting for, it's for them. I want them to have the same tools that I have. I want them to have clean air and clean water. Um, And and being a mom is um, one of the the greatest gifts that I've ever received. And so I, I think that shapes a lot of my identity, my values, and who I am as a person. You mentioned when you talk about um, fossil fuel infrastructure, and and I know that goes beyond just greenhouse gases into air pollution and and dirty water. You mentioned they look like communities like yours. Um, And unfortunately, communities like yours haven't been reflected in leadership positions a lot. So you are the first black woman to lead Greenpeace. And from what I understand, and I could be wrong, the first black woman executive director for a national legacy environmental organization. Um, Every time I read those, it's it's it shouldn't surprise me, but it's it's insane that these things are still that these doors are still being um, broken down. Mm-hmm. But can you talk about the challenges of being a woman of color in this field, how you overcame them and what it means to be, a, you know, a trailblazer in this regard? Yeah, I think about this a lot, because as you said, it's been 51 years. Greenpeace has been in existence. And yeah, I'm the first. And even if you look at the broader environmental movement, um, I am the first black woman, like we said, in a, in a legacy uh, environmental organization. But we are starting to see a shift where the leadership is reflective of the communities that are most impacted by the climate crisis. And I think it's necessary to center our voices uh, in the solutions and in um, the strategies that we come up with. Uh, but when I think about myself as, as um, the first one in this role, Um, when I was a kid on Sunday morning, my father used to turn on the radio and there was a song that said, um, I'm coming up on the rough side of the mountain. Um, I'm doing my best just to make it in. And I often think about my journey because it's like, I'm coming up on the, on (laughs) going through some terrain (laughs) that has no pathway for me. Um, and the higher you climb, the harder it is to breathe. And you have to kind of like use your tools to stake out every step. And there are often challenges that you didn't expect, but you knew it was going to be some challenges thrown at you. Um, So it's like climbing a mountain, but it is, again, my assignment. And I need to climb the mountain so that I can create pathways for others so they don't have to struggle um, and so that they can know that it's possible Um, And so we can climb and we can conquer mountains. It is possible. And that and that's how I see my my legacy in this work. And you are 
pulling some others up the mountain with you. I, I saw that um, in the 10 years that you've been with Greenpeace, that staff of color at Greenpeace has gone from 13% to 55%. That is, that's incredible, first of all. That's excellent. How, how was this accomplished and what can other organizations learn from this? It was another mountain. And um, it's something I'm incredibly proud of. And this was a mountain that I did not climb by myself. Um, we had a, a team and it is important that leadership not just talk the talk, but they actually walk the walk. And the way in which we made change in the organization was really changing from the inside out. So we had to look at everything, um, our policies, our procedures, our compensation, how we promote it how we hire, and we had to really revamp uh, many of our processes to ensure more equitable outcomes. Um, There was a lot of research, a lot of um, conversations, hard conversations many times, because we can often look and see when we're at the top of the mountain and celebrate But we forget that journey and how hard it was on the way up the mountain and how many um, obstacles we've uh, had to overcome. But it it can be done and it is possible. It requires unity and it requires um, that folks, everyone knows their place in their role because it's not just one person's job to advance justice in an organization. Everybody has uh, has to own it. And that's the only way that I think that it's been possible in the organization is that our staff have all um, at every level um, taken ownership of their role and what it looks like for them personally to advance justice in the organization and in our work. So that's a massive internal victory, at least in my eyes. But um, can you talk about some of the environmental wins, you know, externally on some of the advocacy work um, that Greenpeace has had recently? Sure. All we do is win, 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 no matter what, you know, we fight every day. We are fighters. And we have had like some amazing victories uh, over this past year alone. One which we're celebrating and riding high off of is um, the passing of the Oceans Treaty. And this has been a um, 10 year long campaign that we've worked on with um our entire global network to get this across the finish line and to see, I think at last count, 81 countries have signed, including the U.S., is huge. So that's something that I'm really proud of. Uh, Something else that we've been working very closely with is the workers, um, specifically auto workers. We have been joining the picket lines with them in demanding that they are taken care of in a just transition as we move from gas fuel cars to electric cars. We can't leave our workers behind uh, as we um, as we as we implement solutions to ensure that we have a more livable planet. And so we we joined the picket line with them. And uh, we were delighted to hear that General Motors has committed to making its electric vehicle jobs um, also auto, well, union paying jobs. So that's a huge victory. And we think this will set a precedence with um, other auto uh, industries and and companies. And then another huge win we just had was um, around legislation in California specifically with uh, AB 421. And that was a bill 
um, that was meant to reform the referendum process in California to ensure that voters' voices are heard and that corporate interests can't come in and buy back a vote. Um, and so this law will um, help us, especially as we move into um, advocating to ensure that the oil setbacks that we won aren't reversed. And so that is another huge victory that that we have. But um, we work on a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. And I think the biggest victory is our win over a bogus lawsuit. Um, it was called a slap suit. This is another way that they're undermining our democracy. Slap suits uh, stand for strategic lawsuits against public participation. And what they do is basically um, they're meant to bully and intimidate organizations and individuals who speak out against companies that cause environmental harm. And what they want to do is bankrupt you. So they sued us for $100 million. And after seven years of fighting, we finally got it thrown out and um, we, we won it. And so uh, we have another big, big battle coming up. We have another lawsuit uh, similar. Uh, well, it is. It's a slap suit coming up in July um, with energy transfer in Dakota, North Dakota. And we are um, we're preparing to fight that one tooth and nail because the world needs a strong Greenpeace. And so we, we will will never go down. You can't sink a rainbow. When I asked you earlier, what keeps you up at night? Um, people trying to bankrupt you would have been. Well, <laughs> would have been yeah. well that too. You know, I often tell people, they're like, well, how's it going? I'm like, well, I'm trying to save the world and I'm trying to save Greenpeace. You know, I got to balance it some days, but Jeez. That's, yes. that's the job. Yes, that is. Well, we are dealing, I won't get into it, but our newsroom is dealing with some um, some legal some legal things, too, from some very big players. And it is stressful, and it is designed to silence uh, people. That's what it's designed to do. Um, that's exactly what it is. And, and that's, uh, I think I feel pretty comfortable saying that is just wrong. I do want to commend you guys. I don't really have a question here, but I am from Detroit, Um and, and grew up in a family of auto workers and union members. And this idea of merging of um, uh, merging of the environmental movement, the labor movement, and just looking at doing things in a just way for people, I think is such a positive development. Um, I talked about this a little bit earlier. And I think when we think about um, the energy transition, people that left felt left behind in Appalachia and other areas, mm-hmm. um, I think this is such important work to get people mm-hmm. on board and understanding that the environmental movement is not designed mm-hmm. to put people out of a job, but rather have yeah. them doing jobs that are the future. Yes, yes, that is, th- that's the point. And um, we acknowledge that our workers are the ones that have fueled the American economy and have ensured that we've gotten back and forth transportation. And so, no, we can't leave them behind, even our energy workers. Like, no, as we transition, they transition with us and we make sure that we take care of them. That's essential um, for, for solutions as we move forward. So we are talking in the final few months of 2023, which I still have a hard time believing it's gone gone by so fast this year. And we're going into, of course, another election year. It feels like we just did 
just did this. <laughs> and I don't know if any of us are ready. We're laughing, but I think yeah. we're probably both crying on the inside. But what are you watching in terms of issues on the horizon and kind of the broader political landscape as we get into 2024? So many things. I think um, to my points earlier, we Greenpeace is nonpartisan, but we definitely see the uh, strategy from the right uh, with regards to the laws that are being passed to um, silence protest and dissent and climate action. And so one of the things we are paying attention to is in, um, making sure that those values and concerns and the people that um, are concerned about the, uh, the environment are outvoting. So be- de- definitely mobilizing the vote and making sure that climate champions are being elected, because we know if things swing back the other way, we will see no progress and our planet just can't take that right now. So that is very important to us. Uh, We're also continuing to watch and we are supportive of the measures that the IRA has and um, continuing to lead on energy efficiency and also clean energy build out and uh, manufacturing incentives. So we're really um, excited about that. However, we are concerned uh, with the current administration because they have issued more oil and gas permits on public lands than even 45 did. And they also approved the Willow um, project, which would lock us into um, gears of harm, as well as liquid natural gas buildouts, um, and where the U.S. is essentially becoming the gas station for the world. And that won't help us um, uh, save our climate and save our planet. So we are pushing the president and the administration to ensure that they are taking this seriously and they understand we can't drill holes on one end of the boat and bail water out on the other. We got to cut off the gas tap. So I think those are some of the major things we're paying attention to in, um, in the upcoming elections. And speaking of elections, um, and I mentioned this earlier when we have interns here, um, um, or maybe that was a previous call, but I was just talking about how when we have interns, they leave uh, environmental health news feeling very uh, overwhelmed with toxics. Mm-hmm. And it's it's this is daunting work, and it feels overwhelming to check, uh, check the news every morning, especially when it comes to the environment. So I'm wondering what strategies that you employ to keep people engaged and not just wanting to check out and despair and kind of throw up their hands at these issues. The major thing that combats despair is action. Fuel, um, well, despair is fueled by inaction. So the major thing that I tell folks to do is you can find a way or a role in this movement somehow, some way to contribute, to make sure, and to um, basically empower yourself and know that you're actually becoming, you're a solution and not a um, part of the problem. And so there's a number of things you can do. We have um, letter writing contests, well, not contests, but letter writing programs that basically encourage folks in other districts to get out and vote for climate champions. Um, There are other things in your communities that you can take part of. I know in my community, we often go out and clean um, up off the Anacostia waterline. We do things like composting. 
little things that I teach my kids so that they know um, that they are contributing to saving the planet as opposed to damaging it. Um, if you're not an activist, because you know some of us will go out and put our, our, our bodies on the line, but we also need folks that are doing the strategy. We need folks that will bring the bail money if they come look us up. <laughs> we need folks that will provide the food for us while we're sitting outside. There are just so many things that you can do. Um, getting involved with organizations like Greenpeace, uh, your donations, your support. We have volunteer programs. There are, there are a number of things. And I think the best way to combat despair is to, to get active. So what are you optimistic about? So I actually prefer to say I'm hopeful rather than optimistic. I think because um, hope is a choice. It's a conscious choice that you have to make. And it's something that I tell my staff a, a lot about. You have a choice in the morning. You can wake up in despair or you can choose to hope. And hope is having only positive expectations. And expectations are fueled by your actions. So you do have to take actions. Um, but hope is an act of resistance and it combats adversity. And we have the ability to shape our own joy. We have the ability to shape positive outlooks, even in the face of hardship. And that's when we embrace hope. So um, I tell folks, when you don't wake up in the morning feeling good, you have to give yourself something to feel good about. And that, that's, that's, it requires action. I'm noticing a theme here. We need to be taking action. (laughs) It's a very, um, and that is so in line with Greenpeace's uh, strategies. So when you are not running one of the nation's largest environmental organizations, Ebony, what do you like to do? I love spending time with my family and my um, church community. I'm an avid um, worship leader in my church. Um, And when I'm not at church, I'm usually attending concerts with my kids and my husband. I'm going to Broadway, different things like that. I'm also a music major. So um, anything having to do with music around the city, um, impromptu concerts that they have, uh, you might look up and see me there. What music makes my heart happy? What do you play? Or are you a vocalist or what, what, what was your major? I play piano probably up until my senior year of high school. My, my parents are a little mad at me because they think I should still be playing now. <laughs> and um, I went to school actually for vocal performance. You should tell your parents, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of doing something over here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say, and now they, 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 they let up a little bit. They let up a little bit. I'm like, okay, do you want me to play piano? You want me to save the world? You got <laughs> Yeah, I kind of, kind of a little bit, a little bit going on over here. That's, yeah. that is very cool though. I play, I play a host of instruments and I always, you do? yeah, I play guitar. I play pedal steel guitar. I play mandolin. Um, and I do feel like there's something about music that, uh, I will just take breaks cause and mm-hmm. play a little bit cause I feel like it's good for the other side of your brain. It is. No, I completely understand that. Um, my partner plays, uh, the guitar and he will randomly, and I'm, I'm like, if I'm working at home, I'll hear the guitar strumming. I'm like, honey, I'm on a call. But, 
my, my we're a house of musicians. My wife has asked me, "Have you done any work today, or are you working?" When she hears music, and I, yes, I'm I'm working. We're this is work. This is work. I'm working on my on yeah. my brain. Um, well, Ebony, this has been so much fun. I just have a few more uh, uh, fun questions. Hopefully, they're fun, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, and these first three are just kind of rapid fire. You can answer with one word or a phrase. My favorite thing to cook is. Spaghetti. My favorite coffee shop is? Colombia. What was the highlight of the past week for you? Oh, wow. Hanging out with my my seven-year-old watching a WWE event. (laughs) And I'm going to throw one more on here that I didn't uh, prepare you for. What was the last concert you went to? Um, actually went to go see D nice at the Kennedy center a couple weeks ago. Very cool. That is <laughs> yeah. excellent. You're and in a celebration of hip hop 50th anniversary. Yeah. Really good. Show. Oh, that is, that is so cool. My coworker is in, um, she is in Houston area in Austin. She had went to Austin city limits and just saw a whole bunch of bands, but saw Kendrick Lamar. Um, yes. and I was quite jealous because I, I think he's brilliant. So, um, yes. I, w- I missed him when he was at the Kennedy center. So I had to get on the, on the list. Um, so now they tell me everybody's yeah. coming. <laughs> <Not here. laughs> well prepared. Hey, yeah. um, and last question, and I've asked everybody this and you don't have to confine yourself to one word or a phrase here is what's the last book you read for fun? Um, reading, this is an uprising now. This is an uprising and it's, um, it's stretching my brain because I think sometimes we think strategy should look a specific way, but when you're movement building, that strategy is really fluid and what you think won't work does work. And so you have to be bold and fearless and just try things. So that sounds excellent. I bet our listeners will love that. And one of these days I need to put together a list of all the excellent suggestions that people had. Well, Ebony, this has been so much fun for me to get to know you and your work a little bit better. Um, again, I'm, I'm just heartened by the work that you all are doing there that I mentioned earlier. And thank you so much for taking time today. Thank you for having me. This has been a great conversation. That is all for this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ebony. If you enjoy this podcast, visit agentsofchangenej.org. And while you're there, click the donate button to support us. You can also find us on X and Instagram. And please follow us on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. This podcast was written, recorded, produced, and edited by me with outreach, scheduling, and support from the rest of the team. Dr. Ami Zoda, Dr. Yoshira Ornelas Van Horn, Dr. Vina Singla, Dr. Max Ong, Dr. Lariah Edwards, Samara Ahmad, and Maria Paula Rubiano. Our music is now sung by Pottington Bear. Email our team at agentsofchangenej at gmail.com and sign up for our monthly Agents of Change newsletter at the program homepage. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope to keep these important conversations on diversity and science and health going. Have a great week, folks.